All right, we're diving in. Last Adam. You fired up for this? Church Online, I hope you're fired up for this as well. Uh, I cannot wait for this season. Let me read you our anchor verse. First, let me give you a little bit of context. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the most extensive chapter in the New Testament on the resurrection. Ironically enough, the Corinthians, which more importantly the Greeks, didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. They had this mythological, symbolic idea of what resurrection and reincarnation, uh, a la Greek mythology, what those things were. So they didn't adhere to a bodily resurrection. And Paul is essentially coming to them and he's saying, if your resurrection is symbolic and your resurrection is mythological, so is the power that you have. But if it is real, and if it is true, and if you hold on to it, then the power that you have is real. The power that you have is true. The power that you have is from God. So he goes in in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, says, and this is our anchor verse. You'll hear me mention it every single time during the season. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life giving spirit. Amen. Two amens. I'll read it again. I'll give you a new opportunity. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life-giving or a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Back nine, hole 13, fighting for birdie. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me explain this to you, why this is important for you to understand. Adam is a representation of mankind. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, Adam is given, Adam is given life and chooses death. Adam is given life from the Lord. He breathes, he, he raises him from dust, he breathes life into his nostrils. Adam is a representation of mankind, and Adam is given life and he chooses death. You can do whatever you want. You can enjoy whatever you want. You and your wife are naked and you're not embarrassed. You have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. It's all yours. Just don't eat from that tree. He's given life. He chooses death. The last Adam chooses death to give you life. You see that, right? So the first Adam, given life, chooses death. The last Adam chooses death to give you life. So now, the choice of which Adam you follow is purely up to you. You see what just happened there? Because Adam represents mankind. So now, as a man, I can choose, do I choose to identify with death, or do I choose to identify with life? Because the first Adam was given life and chose death. The second Adam chose death so that I can have life, which gives me the choice. Talk about Proverbs 18, 21 all the time. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and whatever you choose, you eat of its fruit. What are you agreeing with? Are you agreeing with death, or are you agreeing with life? So our declaration for this season, because we have a declaration with every season, is I have a life-giving spirit. If we agree with, we're with the last Adam, we're not with the first Adam, I have a life-giving spirit. Okay, I'm going to ask you for it at the count of three. I have a life-giving spirit. Are you ready? One, two, three. I have a life-giving spirit. One more time like you mean it. I have a life 
life-giving spirit. Church online, drop it in the chat. I have a life-giving spirit. I choose to identify with the last Adam that is a life-giving spirit. That's what this whole season is about. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now that you know. Paul lays the groundwork. Paul lays the structure for what it means to follow the last Adam, to receive the last Adam, to stand with the last Adam, to walk firmly with the last Adam. What does it mean when I say, okay, I have a life-giving spirit. Okay, I choose. I don't want the first Adam that chose death. I want the second Adam that gives me life. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. says, now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Verses 3 and 4, most scholars agree, this is one of the first Christian creeds that we ever had. Verse 3, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you. You recognize that, by the way? We're not creators, we're curators. We curate what we've received. I'm just giving away to you what God has given to us. Paul says, I'm giving to you what I've received, I pass on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then verses 5 through 9, and He appeared and He rolls into all of the people that He appeared to, or at least a grouping of who He appeared to, and then He wraps up 1 Corinthians 15.10. So your earliest Christian creed is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and He appeared to the witnesses. Death, burial, resurrection, appearance. 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Okay. We're going to lay some foundation here. But first, um, I, I had a friend who wanted to talk to me about, he's got a baby on the way. Right? First one. First, first baby on the way. And he, he came to me. Nothing changes your life more than kids. I'm telling you. Nothing. I know, uh, you know, marriage can change your life, but you've got a time to prepare for that. You date that person first. Right? So you kind of get an idea of what you're getting yourself into, and then you get married, and, and that's... Kids, nothing can prepare you. Some people buy dogs, and they're like, oh, you're practicing for kids. No, you are not. I can promise you. Your puppy at home is not preparing you for the baby that's going to be crying next to you for 25 hours a day. You're not ready for it, okay? Um, so kids change your life, and, and he's a little naive, and uh, he's a great dude. I mean, I love him, but yeah, he's, he's out to lunch on this whole thing. So he comes to me, and he says, hey, uh, give, give me some advice. What, what should I expect? Now, for those of you that don't know, we have, what is he, three months now? Four, I don't know. Four months old. We have... <laughs> It's just, it's just a block of time until they're self-sufficient, right? Um, 
it, it's a little soon for me. I was like, are you sure you want me to tell you what to expect? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, of course, you're on your third one. You seem to, to know what you're doing. I said, okay, okay. And I know this guy, and he's a huge hunter. He loves to hunt, loves duck season, loves deer season. He loves waterfowl. He loves all of this hunting. And so he said, I said, when's the baby due? He said, late September, early October. I said, okay, forget about uh, waterfowl season. Forget about duck hunting. Forget about deer season. And he goes, oh, man. Because... Dude, he said, no, 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 really, honestly, he's like, I already talked to my wife, and we've got this little plan laid out, and, and we know what we're going to do, and it's going to be good, and I'm still going to get to go. <laughs> oh, get it in writing, pal. So get it in writing now. Get it in writing. Get her signature on it. Take it to a notary. Make sure you have this in writing. And I told him, I said, come here, come here. I, I just wanted to grab him by the back of his head, right? And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to make a list of the most important things to you, things that you love. I want you to write them down one through ten, okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah okay, yeah, sounds great. And I said, okay. And then I want you to go to the very top of that list. And when you get to the very top of that list, I want you to get a permanent marker. And I want you to write at the very top of that marker, kids. Write it at the very top of that list. And then I want you to take that permanent marker and I want you to mark off every single thing underneath that, right? Just mark it off, mark it off, mark it off, mark it off. And that is what I want you to understand your new life is going to be. Okay, when Paul says in verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of, you guys got it? Throw it up there, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Come on, come on, put our, put our hands together for our production team. Are we close? Here we go. Hey, one more. There you are. Okay, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of, if you have your Bible, circle it, first importance. That is a Greek word for the top of succession. What Paul is saying is, whatever you believed to be most important in your life, go to the very top of that list and write the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because that is of first importance. Then everything else can trickle down. And everything else is, can be talked about afterwards. But that word, it is a Greek word meaning the first of succession. So he says in verse 1, let me remind you, verse 3, the thing of first importance, the very top thing on your list. And then he says the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have just, we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right in a time where this can be just another accessory, where Christianity can be just another thing that I do, or church is just an event that I go to on Sunday, or following Jesus is equivalent to following other people I like on Instagram, or any of these things. We have to understand this. If you want the power of a life giving spirit, operating within your soul, moving with power and doing incredible things in your life, it has to be the first and most important thing in your life. It's more important than your spouse, more important than your kids, more important than your friends, more important than your family, more important than your indulgences that you enjoy from time to time that you know bring you to a place of sin. It has to be the place of first importance. He says, let me remind you, verse 1, the thing of first 
importance. And then he goes through the gospel, the death. Isaiah 53, when, when Jesus was on the cross and he died on the cross, all of our sins were placed upon him and he died on the cross with our sins as the perfect sacrifice for us because we don't belong in the presence of God, but Jesus made us right with God, dying on the cross. The burial, John chapter 19, he's buried in the tomb of a rich man. The burial is like the receipt. It's like the sealed deal. It's like the, the final thing. So you have the act and then you have the burial. Think of, think of like a funeral. Somebody dies, but then you have the service for them, the celebration of life for them, the placing them into the ground, the times of closure that come along with that. So he says we have the death, we have the burial, and we have the resurrection, the life, the life in our bones afterwards. So Jesus died for my sins. He was buried for my sins and my sins were buried with him so I bear them no more and he rose in victory so that I can have new life in him. That is the gospel. Let me tell you something. You have not heard the gospel if you have not heard the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have not preached the gospel if you haven't preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'll take it even a step further. Christianity is not a collection of good ideas. Christianity is not a list of morals and values that make you a better person. Christianity is not a path to spirituality. Christianity is not a political agenda. Christianity is the good news of an event that changed the entire world forever. That is what Christianity is. Because if you take away the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you have nothing. So the gospel is the good news of an event that changed everything. It is the good news of an event that changed everything. It is the good news of an event that changed everything. When you say, I'm living a gospel-centered life, I'm living a life centered on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is of first importance to me. When these things are aligned, you, you now understand the gospel. You now, it's as clear as it can possibly get. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What is Christianity? It is the good news of an event that changed the course of human history forever. It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's what I love about Paul. Paul lays it out. He makes it clear. We're talking about the last Adam, the life-giving spirit. Now you know. You may not have known before you came in here. Now you know the truth. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of an event that transformed the world forever. What do I do with that? Where do I go with that? Paul lays it out crystal clear. Three things. Number one, we have to receive it. The first thing we do with the gospel is we receive the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive. Paralambano is the Greek word. It means to unite. You received it, and you became one with it. John 1 verse 12 says, yet to all who did paralambano, to all who did receive him, to all who united with him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to me. 
a gospel based on reception glorifies God. A gospel based on performance glorifies man. So a gospel based on reception, I'm receiving what God has done for me and what he has given me in Jesus is a gospel that glorifies God. A gospel of performance, i got to work a little harder, i got to do a little more, i got to change this, i got to do that, is a gospel based on performance and it glorifies man. Let me, let me illustrate it for you. I had a, a neighbor, neighbors that used to live next to me. Um, I love them. They're so awesome. And they were leaving one day, and they were going to their son's last t-ball game. And uh, they had a pizza party afterwards, and they were telling me, oh, he was just bananas excited, running around in circles. They finally got him in the car, and they took him, and they played the t-ball game. And like two hours later, I was in my garage, and I heard them pull up. And then the first thing I heard was crying. I was like, what is that? I, you know, peek out. I'm just that neighbor who minds his own business, right? And I'm like, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening, right? I got. Let's see what's going on. And so his kid's crying. His wife gets out, and she's chirping back at him, you know. And he's he's doing the classic. I don't know why you did. I don't know why you're mad. I don't know what's going on. You know. And and I'm just. Hey, listen. It's so much more fun when other people are fighting, right? Everyone wants to watch Springer. No one wants to be on Springer, right? He's like, this is great. I'll just, I'll just listen in and see what's going on. And she's mad, and she goes inside, and his son's crying, and he's out in the driveway. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I think it's great. right when I step out of my garage. He's standing there like this. Oh, hey, preacher. And I'm like, oh, I knew I should have went inside. You know, like, ah, he got me. He said, hey, preacher. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. How can I help you? I'm a preacher on Sundays. It's Saturday. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, hey, got a question for you. And he said, yeah. He said, let, let me tell you what's going on right now. Lord bless him. And he said, man, he said, we got to this t-ball game. And he said, my son's t-ball team is horrible. They're terrible. He said, they didn't score a run all year. Not one of these kids hit the ball out of the infield. And then after the game, we go to the pizza party. And at the pizza party, they give every single one of these kids a trophy that says first place on it. He said, I looked at that coach and I said, don't you give my son one of those. And he said, the coach was like, okay. And he's like, nope, no participation trophies in this house. You take that. They didn't, this team didn't score a run all year. We got the brakes beat off of us. You guys stopped the games early. It was so embarrassing. There ain't no way you're giving them that participation trophy in my house. And I said, okay, how'd that work for you? He said, well, my son was the only one who didn't get one. He started crying. His mom didn't understand why I wouldn't let him have a trophy. Blew the whole thing up. I walked out, got in the car, and I was like, hey, what'd you think of that, babe? Like, we're really teaching him to be a winner around here. And, and you know, here's the thing. Uh, I don't disagree with him, obviously. Uh, I think that's, that, that may be good parenting. That's not gospel. That may be good parenting, but aren't you thankful Jesus doesn't look at us and say, well, you really didn't score a run all year, Scout. You really haven't measured up. I saw what you did last week. I heard the things that you said when you thought you were in your car alone and they cut you off in the left lane. I heard the way you talked to your wife. Two weeks ago, I saw the way you disciplined your children on the way to church this morning because you were frustrated because you were running late. I'm sorry, but I don't think you deserve it. No, we have a gospel that we receive. We have a gospel that is freely given to us. Here's what that means, that your past doesn't hold you back from the future that God has for you. 
Your past is not a limitation because the gospel is given to you. We have a gospel that we receive because Jesus paid the price for it. Death, burial, resurrection price so that we can live a new life despite all of the things that we've done. Despite everything that we've been involved in. Despite all of the hurt and the pain and the shame that we've caused, we receive new life in Jesus. Paul reminds them, don't forget about this because you have received it. Don't turn this into performance. Don't disqualify yourself on a daily basis. Receive what I have done so that I can begin the work within you. First is receive. The second, and I love where he goes. We don't just receive 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. We receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we stand firmly on the gospel. Maturity or discipleship or whatever you want to call it is going from receiving to standing on the gospel. It's going from recognizing what Jesus has done for me and realizing what I can do for Jesus. It is taking a stand against things. Now, so look, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong. Ephesians 6, 11, Paul says again, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. When you stand in the gospel, you are standing in a position of power. Why? Because I have a life-giving spirit inside of me. I have a life-giving spirit that is working in me. I I grew up, I had two older brothers, and then I acquired two younger stepbrothers at a point too. So I I had brothers all growing up. Let me just tell you something. Nothing destroys a home quicker than a fight among brothers. Is it true? I mean, parents with two bro- with boys in the house. I remember, man, I was standing out at my friend's house one time. He had a similar situation to me. I had three older brothers, and we were in the basement in Kansas. You had basements that you went down to, and we were playing video games, and it literally sounded like someone drove a bulldozer through the house. It was just boom, boom, boom. A floor is shaking. Everything's moving. I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, my brothers are fighting again. I was like, what? Really? We went upstairs. The phone was ripped off the wall. Like, you remember those old phones that hung on the wall? Phone was completely ripped off the wall. There was a body print of a human crushed into the sheetrock, and the kitchen table was broken. I mean, sitting on like three legs and leaning over. And I was looking around. I was like, oh, my goodness. He's like, oh, no, it wasn't a big deal. He's like, they did way worse last time when they got into it. But that's, that's what brothers do. I remember growing up in my home, I had this move where I would usually, my two older brothers were a lot older than me and uh, they they just they had the upper hand and strength but I was sneaky I was sneaky and a little crazy you got to watch out for the one who's sneaky and and slightly crazy and I remember man one of my brothers one time he he ticked me off I had a nine volt battery and I threw it at him hit him square right in the eye busted his eye open and then you know he rears up and my other brother rears up and I'm running around the house and they're chasing me and they're knocking things over and all of a sudden what's the little brother do he gets behind the door and he wedges his foot in the door and they've got the handle turned so you can't get it locked 
shocked, you know, but they're banging on the door and they're pushing on the Come on, any little brothers hid behind a door before? Any little brothers, you get behind the door and listen, if you wedge your foot right and you get it up against that door right, right? You don't want to, you don't want to do this one right here and get, you want to get help. You got to get low on that door and you wedge your foot into that door and there ain't no breaking down that door. You can't get it. I see the older brothers laughing like, yeah, next time you dread it, I'm going to break his foot off and get inside that door. That's what you do when you take that stand against your brother. You get behind something safe, you lock your foot in and you keep them from getting to you. When Paul is talking about standing in the gospel. He is saying, when pornography comes at you, when lust comes after you, when sin comes after you, when the devil comes after you, when alcoholism comes after you, when drug addiction comes after you, you root your foot in that gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus died for my sins. He was buried for my sins and He rose so that I can have victory over this moment now. That is standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where are you at today? You have to stand rooted in the gospel. So you don't just receive it and then keep doing the things on Monday you felt bad about on Sunday. You receive it and then you stand in it. You dig your feet into this gospel and then I love where he finishes. Hold firmly. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. In other words, he is saying, if you are believing this mythological, symbolic, oh, it was just, it was just a story that's told. It wasn't a real death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's saying, you are believing something in vain. He says, you have to hold firmly to this truth. So we receive it, we stand in it, and then we hold firmly to it before anything can take it away from us. One of my favorite illustrations of the gospel is a story I read, man, I don't know, 15 years ago. It was a story of a little boy who was walking home from school, and he walked home with the same group of kids, and he, they stopped off during the warmer weather times, and they would swim in this, this little pond that was right outside of their house. And so they got there, and they jumped in, and they were swimming in this pond, and it was about a half a mile from the house, and the dad said he was, he was working outside at the time, and all of a sudden, he heard these these blood-curdling screams, and he knew this, the cry of his child. Parents, you know the, the cry of your children. He knew exactly who that was. That was his boy. So he took off at a dead sprint down a gravel road, and he made it to that pond, and he said when he got to that pond, it was the most horrific thing he'd ever seen in his life. He saw his boy in the water, and he saw an alligator that had latched on to his boy's legs. And he said he was being pulled under the water. The dad ran out on a dock. He reached out. He grabbed a hold of his son's arms. And he said he was literally in a tug of war with an alligator for his son. And he was pulling and pulling. And miraculously, the alligator let go. He called 911. He ran his son to his house. He was drenched in his boy's blood. The, the ambulance arrived. They rushed him to the hospital. And once they got there, uh, they began to treat the son. And his legs were just mangled. And so the news showed up. They had heard of the story. It was a small town, and they wanted to do a report, and they started interviewing the young boy, and they started asking the little boy, um, tell me a little more about this. How did this happen? Did you see this coming? And then they asked if they could see 
um, the, the, the damage from the little boy. And he said, yeah, sure. And he lifted up the sheet and he showed them his legs. And they said it was just, you could just see blood seeping through the bandages. And they just, they cringed when they were done. They're like, okay, okay, thank you so much. And the little boy smiled ear to ear. And he said, hang on. He said, let me, let me show you these scars. And he pulled up his sleeve and, and on his arms, they saw these tear marks all over his arms. And they said, we thought the alligator only got your legs. And the little boy smiled ear to ear. And he said, oh, he did. He said, these are from my father. He said, these are my happy scars. These are the scars of my dad who wouldn't let go of me and pulled me from the mouth of an alligator. Let me read you Philippians 3 verse 12. This is Paul. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. Here you go. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to grab a hold of the thing that is already pulling at me. So I receive this, I stand in it, and then I take a hold of it as it is pulling on me. And it is pulling me out of sin. It is pulling me out of shame. It is pulling me out of embarrassment. And it is dragging me to a place of victory in Him. And then we have to end here. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Paul wraps up this section and he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that an incredible sentence? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then listen to what he says. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, He's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you need to know something. The same grace that saved me is the grace that is changing me. The grace that has saved me is not without effect. The grace that has saved me is the grace that is changing me. And he says, no, I work harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with Me, I am what I am, but grace has changed me. Grace has transformed me. The gospel, the event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has transformed everything about me. I am what I am, but grace. I am annoyed and frustrated, but grace has changed me. I am angry and out of touch and withdrawn, but grace has changed me. I am addicted or a slave to this, but grace has changed me. Listen to me. I do not listen to people who say to me, well, it's just the way that I am. I am what I am, but grace has changed me. Which means you may still be that angry, frustrated, annoyed, always withdrawn, always scowling, hard-hearted son of a Baptist that you've always been. But grace has changed you. Come on, grace will change you. You can be a different person. You can be transformed. You may be what you are. But grace isn't finished with you yet. You may be who you've always been, but grace is not done with you yet. Because grace is not without effect.